Well, good morning, everyone. Let me open us with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our teaching. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity we have to to be amongst your people. I thank you for the word that Bruce brought us this morning about your character and who you are. And I pray, Lord, today that even as we are talking about our adversary, the devil, in the teaching time, that we would reflect not so much on him other than to know his schemes, but rather, Lord, that we'd reflect on you and, and cling to you and become experts on you. But, Lord, we do have an adversary who seeks to destroy us, and we don't want to be ignorant of his schemes. And so I pray that as we continue in this teaching that you'll give us uh, wisdom. I pray that the teaching will be accurate and that it will reflect the truths found in your word and that you will protect us from our adversary, the devil. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you all for being here. Last week, I introduced a message, and it's really the message I taught at summer camp. We were dealing with the young people with sin and its effect and its corruptive force, and also Satan. It was a very heavy topic for summer camp. The young people got a great deal of theology and truth, as well as a lot of gospel proclamation to them. But the topic that I had, and it was given to me by Spencer, but I was happy to do it in one sense, was on Satan and his strategies. And I really summed up for the students, and I referenced this last week, what I was trying to deal with was this. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, the Apostle Paul says, So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. In other words, Satan has schemes that he puts in place to try and destroy not only believers, but all humanity, and as believers, we're not supposed to be ignorant of those schemes. And yet, as you look around our popular culture, and particularly evangelical Christian culture in America, I believe, unfortunately, we are quite often ignorant of his schemes. We're not supposed to be. We're given enough from Scripture to be able to navigate and defend ourselves against his attacks and navigate truth from error. And yet we live in a deceived world. And so for young people, as you might imagine, it was exciting to get to talk to these young junior high and high schoolers about these types of weighty truths, but I thought, you know, it would be good for us to go over them again. Satan is at work. He's causing destruction every day, and we as believers need to be aware of his schemes because the scriptures warn us, as I taught through 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, you're adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour so as believers we need to be reminded of these truths and to understand his schemes so as i introduced this last week we really have a four-part outline of the basic schemes of satan and i covered the first two points last week so i'm only going to mention them as i was going over my notes again i realized i've got a lot to cover today and so I hope I get through it. If not, we may dial into next week. But hopefully I can get through everything. But the first of the basic schemes of Satan was this. He disguises himself and his motives. 
He disguises himself and his motives. And I won't re-teach last week, but what you see as a recurrent theme as I'm going through these materials is I go back to Genesis chapter 3. Satan is simply an angel. He is a created being. He is not equal to God. He is a created creature of God. But God gave him great power. And as we'll see today, God gave him beauty and wisdom. God gave him a distinguished place as an angel such that at the end of Genesis, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. That would include the angelic beings. But sometime between the end of Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, Satan fell. He took a third of the angels with him. And by Genesis 3, when he appears to Eve, he doesn't appear as an angelic creature. He appeared as a serpent. He disguised himself. The very first attack in humanity, he didn't come in all the glory of an angel. He came as a serpent. He disguised himself. Scriptures make it very clear that is his modus operandi, so to speak. He is a liar. John 8, 44, he's a murderer. He's a liar. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. He's a liar and the father of lies, Jesus said. And, and in this context, he lies by disguising himself. The scriptures make it very clear, 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen to 15, verse 14, and specifically, he says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So he doesn't appear like the stereotypical caricatures that we grew up with. Quite often, I think if you were to see Satan, and I don't know that we ever would, but if we saw Satan, he would look attractive. He would look non-threatening. He'd be the nicest looking person in the room. He'd be the person that you'd be attracted to from a visual standpoint. He doesn't come across generally as the caricature with the horns and the tail. He disguises himself as an angel of light. And not only does he disguise himself, he disguises his motives. We covered this at length, and, and again, going back to Genesis chapter 3, he didn't tell Eve, look Eve, I really want to plunge all of humanity into destruction. What I'm trying to do is bring death into God's perfect creation, and I want to destroy you and all of your offspring forever. No, he says other things. He comes in and says, look, God's holding out on you. You're not going to die. You're going to have good things. You're going to know more. This is good for you. He disguised his motives. His motive was to destroy He's going to be eternally judged in the lake of fire, and it seems as though he's the kind of person that wants to take everyone else down with him. But he didn't come across that way. He disguises it. You surely will not die. In fact, God knows you'll be like him. And he never stopped. He's always continued to lie to humanity. I alluded to and talked quite a bit about how that's illustrated through Pride Month, which was last month. My point wasn't to condemn Pride Month for all of the wrongness of it. My point was to show you how that's not just an innocent thing. That is Satan lying about his motives. These people are captivated by him. Scripture makes it clear, Romans chapter 1, they are under God's judgment for such behavior But Satan 
is screaming still, you surely will not die. So in all of this, Satan disguises himself and his motives. That's one of his schemes we have to be alert to. The second scheme, which was the, what I talked about, the second point, was this. He uses God's word to further his work. He uses God's word to further his work. And as I developed this last week, I made it clear. Sometimes he uses God's word by distorting it. That's what he did with Eve. Did God really say don't eat of any of the trees? That's not what God said. And Satan knew that was not what God said, but he, he twisted it a little bit. But then we see in the temptation of Jesus that he actually quoted Scripture correctly. He just distorted the meaning. He told Jesus, throw yourself down. The angels are going to protect you. And the only defense against this type of attack is to know the Word of God because Satan is comfortable using the Bible against you. Countless people around the country are hearing a message today that contradicts Scripture. But they think they're hearing the truth. I'll read it in its entirety, 2 Corinthians 11, 13, and 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. And then I dealt with other scriptures that make it clear in the last days, people are going to turn away from sound doctrine, and they're going to turn to doctrines of demons. It's happening all around us. Bruce was alluding to that in his message this morning, of the fact that so many pulpits are distorting God's word. It's all satanic. It's not incidental. Now, is it possible that there's an innocent pastor who sometimes makes mistakes? Of course. Of course. I'm sure I've made mistakes. But there is a concerted effort on the part of Satan to use God's word to deceive as many people as possible. He started distorting the word of God with Eve he even attempted it with Jesus, and he's doing it to us. That's why it's so important in Acts 17, 11, you've got to be like a Berean. You've got to examine the Scriptures to see if these things are so. Don't take my word for it. Don't take Pastor Steve's word for it. Don't take Bruce's word for it or Jack's word for it. Always go to the Scriptures. If what we say can't be supported by the Scriptures, then it's not God's word. That's the only protection. Jesus gave the example. It is written. It is written. It is written, the attacks on God's word were met with the truth of God's word. And that brings us, that quick overview, brings us to the third basic scheme of Satan. And this is where we start our new material today. He disguises himself and his motives. He uses God's word to further his work. And third, he appeals to our pride and personal desires. He appeals to our pride and personal desires. Now, this is important because... Even though I originally gave this message to young people, the truths aren't different because we're old people. It's the same thing. And you know, if you've been a believer very long, that is, the temptations and the battles against sin are never ending. I've shared it many times. I remember hearing as a believer in Fresno at some men's group at our church there, an old guy. He was probably in his 80s, so I apologize. Um, but I was in like my late 20s, so he was ancient. He wanted, you know, he was with Moses in coming out of Egypt. Um, it is funny, the side note, that the older you get, the younger that sounds. But at the time, he seemed really old. 
But I remember him talking about a struggle against temptation to sin. And I was heartbroken because I assumed as I was longer in the faith, eventually it would get easier. It never stops. So it means for us, Satan will continue to attack. And I'm going to tell you, he always attacks with pride and our personal desires. He appeals to them. There's a sense, and it's clear from Scripture, that it's normal to think about yourself to a certain point. It's not inherently sinful to be mindful of dangers, to be mindful of your real needs. Jesus said in Matthew 6.25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he says, pursue his kingdom, his righteousness, and God will take care of everything. The point I use that verse for, though, is the fact that that's the nature of humanity. We think about what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear, because we get hungry and we get thirsty. There are certain basic needs that are not wrong to deal with. And the reality is, no matter what age you are, you do pay attention to what you need or at the very least, to what you think you need. The, end, or the beginning of Ephesians 5, verse 29 says this, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And the command there was in the context of husbands love your wives as you love yourself, as you love your own bodies. And the point, though, from a human standpoint, is that in general, we spend a lot of time thinking about taking care of ourselves. If you step back and you're honest with yourself, probably you spend more of your time in one form or another thinking about yourself than you do thinking about anything else. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm scared. I'm bored. I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm curious. If you reflect on a day... I would just challenge you, try not to think about yourself and you'll fail in the first 10 seconds because you'll be thinking about thinking about yourself. But it's not just on our own experience. It is from Scripture and Satan understands our self-obsession. It's fascinating because even people who think they hate themselves are really obsessed with themselves. They may not like what they see in their own mind. It starts a cycle of depression. But the, reflect, the fact is, we are obsessed with ourselves. And Satan understands that. And I can show you from scriptures, I believe, that he appeals to that. But there's a context, because I think it's what brought about Satan's own downfall his obsession with himself that makes him such an expert on how to appeal to others. Now, I believe that we can see the basics of Satan's fall, what led him astray, and it's in two Old Testament accounts that in their original context had to do in some respects with earthly kings, but I believe with countless other commentators, that they actually show a picture of the motivating force of those earthly kings. In other words, these are pictures that we can see of what was going on when Satan fell. 
Now, I'll give you the verse references because I'm going to jump around through them. But one is in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 to 19. Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 19. And the other is in Isaiah 14, 12 to 17. Although I'm only going to read 12 to 14. So I'm just going to read some snippets of the Ezekiel 28 passage. You can go and read it on your own. But it says, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Skipping down. You were the anointed cherub. That's just another word for an angelic creature. Who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Your heart, skipping again, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I think the picture that comes from this is that Satan was truly a magnificent part of the angelic creative order. He was beautiful, he was wise, but he got caught up in himself. Again, I can't imagine this because I look forward to the day I get to heaven and can see the glory of God. Satan was in the presence of the glory of God, but his own selfishness caused him to look away from the glory of God and look into himself. Isaiah 14 gives some additional information that, again, I believe is showing a picture of Satan. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the amount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I think the picture from Scripture would go along these lines. Satan was a created special creature. He was a special angel with, with beauty and wisdom, but he wasn't content with that. He wanted to be in the place of God. I think specifically he wanted to be in the place of Jesus. He wanted the worship and the adoration he was given an elevated place, but he could see there was a place above him, and he said, I want that. It's interesting, if this is correct, that Satan's temptation was he wanted to be God. I will be like the Most High. It's interesting that his very first temptation of humanity was this, you will be like God. In other words, what caused Satan's fall was he was not content with where he was. He wanted something more. He was filled with pride. What God gave him wasn't enough, and he used and turned his own downfall on humanity. You can be like God. And Eve succumbed to the same temptation. Put in the context, in Genesis 3, 6, we read this. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, it appealed to her, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also her husband with her, and he ate. It would taste good. It would do something for me. It was pretty to look at. And I can be like God. I think Satan tempted Eve with the basic parameters of every attack that would follow. 
We read in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, something that describes every person's weakness. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. In other words, what we can experience with our bodily senses for enjoyment, Eve's case, good to the taste. And what we see and take into our mind, in Eve's case, the fruit was a delight to her eyes. It was something good to look at. And the pride that is promoted by the world is found in Eve saying, well, I can be like God. This really, this original attack plays out every single day. That's what Satan is doing to us. He's appealing to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. In other words, he's appealing to our sense, our senses, and he's also appealing to our pride. We have some legitimate needs. Jesus talked about that. Food and clothing and protection from the elements. What will drink what we'll wear, but we want more. And Satan knows we want more, and he's willing to tell us there's a way to get everything you want, but you've got to look past God. You've got to get away from him. When I was a kid, the temptations of the world came primarily through TV and movies. Now the temptations of the world come through this device and their kids and young age that see things that I couldn't have comprehended even as an adult. But the point is this, in every era, Satan knows how to appeal to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. He knows how to target our personal desires and what we want, and he manipulates, and he twists, and he gets us to want more than what God's given us. We have legitimate needs, but he wants us to go beyond that, to want more, to want more, to want more. I think it's fascinating, even though I have no social media, I read news articles. It's fascinating that people are making tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars a month doing nothing, except calling attention to themselves. And because we seem to be looky-loo world, if they call enough attention to themselves, everybody watches. They're not doing anything, but they're influencers or they're being watched. And so they make a ton of money because everybody watches them. And then you have countless people that say, well, I want to be what they are. And we have already, apart from all of that, an obsession with self and the world in which we live just magnifies it exponentially. Satan is lying to us every day. We want what the world wants if we're not careful. We have legitimate needs, but Satan will corrupt it. Satan will change it. It's interesting because one of the temptations against Jesus was the fact that he was hungry. Forty days without food, he was hungry. And Satan appealed to that. He does the same thing to us. One of the most dangerous times is when you're tired. Or when you're really happy and on cloud nine. Or when you're sick. The point is, wherever you are, Satan knows how to pinpoint your needs. 
Ephesians 2, 1 and 3 describes all unbelievers, including us in the old days. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. In other words, this is the arena in which Satan works. He's appealing to those lusts of the flesh, the desires of the mind. That's what advertising is. I remember years ago, getting the Sunday paper, and I finally had to stop looking at it. Why? Because I would always open up to the ads, and I'd figure out I needed all this stuff. Now, I didn't need any of the stuff, but I wanted it. That's the whole point of advertising. And Satan always disguises the lie. Again, he's not saying, look, I want to feed your sinful temptation. No, he tries to get you to believe, I need this. He wants to destroy you. And he can stir up those sinful desires that we have within us. And if we're not careful, if we're not paying attention, he puts the hook in the water with the bait, and we take the bait and we're caught. The scriptures make it clear. Satan can appeal to our lust of the flesh, our pride in countless ways. He can tempt you with money. Acts 5, 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? He can tempt you with power. Again, I'm always fascinated to read the temptation of Jesus, that Satan really was working overtime to try and tempt Jesus. But one of the things he tempted him with was he took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I'll give you if you fall down and worship me. That's the temptation of Jesus. Look, you can skip the cross and you can have it all right now. I'll give it to you. He can tempt people with positions of authority in Christian ministry. In 1 Timothy 3, 6 and 7, talking about the qualifications for an elder, he says, and not a new convert, verse 6, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation without those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. In other words, even in church leadership, Satan's working. He can tempt you with sexual temptation, 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He can tempt you with intoxication. He can tempt you with basic necessities like he did with Jesus. In other words, he can tempt you at any point and he knows where you're weak. Satan and his demons are watching. I'm going to talk about this in our fourth point. He has a network of spies. He's not omniscient like God to know everything instantly, but he, through observation, knows your weaknesses. They've watched us sin. They know where we're weak. They know what we want. And they're waiting to lead you where God doesn't want you to go. But again, the starting point is your heart. You've got to be careful because Satan, one of his schemes is to appeal to our pride and personal desires 
And that can be our downfall if we're not careful. So that'll lead me into my final point, and I'm going to go ahead and I think I can cover this. The fourth basic scheme of Satan. First, he disguises himself in his motive. Second, he uses God's word to further his work. Third, he appeals to our pride and personal desires. And four, and this is important, and I hope I can develop it and articulate it in a way that's understandable, he works through the world around us, including our friends. He works through the world around us, including our friends. Now, part of what makes Satan so dangerous is the expanse of his corrupting influence and reach. And so I want to build this a little bit, but I want to be very careful. And I shared this last week, but I remember thinking a long time ago, even when I was first a believer, that there's God and he's powerful and Satan and he's powerful and they're at war with each other, but God's going to win. But, but that's not really the case. Certainly Satan is at war against God, but they're not equals on the playing field. This is just the rebellious creature. God is still God. He is all-powerful. He rules over everything. And it's Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who have unlimited power and authority, not Satan. Ephesians 1, 21 and 22. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. It's just an expression of what God the Father did and God the Son, giving him power and authority. But, for his own purposes, and maybe we'll find out in heaven, maybe we never will be told, God has let this very powerful and sinful and evil angel called Satan have a huge influence over sinful humanity. In Matthew 4, and I read this before in a different context, but Matthew 4, 8 and 9, says in the temptation of Jesus, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus didn't fall for the temptation. He didn't bite. But it's interesting that he didn't tell Satan, look, you don't have that power. You don't have that ability. You don't have control over the kingdoms of the world. They're mine. I think it seems that in this sin-filled world, God has given Satan a great deal of freedom to manipulate and control the structures of power across this planet. I think that's why Satan is referred to by Jesus as the ruler of this world. John 12, 31. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And Satan is referred to as a small g, God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, the beginning of verse 4. In whose case, the God of this world. So, in understanding who Satan is, God has given him a great deal of freedom to manipulate and wield power on this fallen world. It doesn't mean in any sense that God has... as taken away his own sovereignty, Satan can only work in the permissive realm of what God says. I think one of the great illustrations of this is from the book of Job. Book of Job, God and Satan were having a dialogue, but Satan could only go as far as God allowed. Satan didn't have unlimited freedom, but God did give him 
certain boundaries. Job 1.12, for example. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. In other words, God said you can have impact over Job's stuff. Then later God said, okay, you can touch his body, you can't kill him. And in that display of Job, Satan manipulated the weather, he killed people, he motivated other sinful people to come and take Job's stuff in theft and murder. But again, for all of that power, it's permissive. Luke twenty two thirty one. Jesus said this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. In other words, Satan needed God's permission to do what he wanted to do. He was being boisterous and, and trying to be assertive, but the reality is, without God's permission, Satan can't do anything. So I don't want you to hear what I'm saying and think, well, Satan is just unbeatable. He's not. God is unbeatable. But within this world, God has allowed Satan to act such that he's called the ruler of this world, the God of this world. And I believe it's important to understand Satan knows what he knows and has the ability to manipulate because he has a spy network that's unparalleled. I grew up as, there are few that are younger in here, but we understand the cold world. Spies everywhere. Soviet Union we thought had spies all over the place. And then we had spies all over the place. That's what the CIA was. Everybody's trying to see what everybody else is doing. They're planting bugs. They're planting microphones. They got all these secret hidden ways to do what they're doing. They're trying to find out what's going on. Satan has a network that makes all of that look pitiful. And it's in the form of an army of angels that allied themselves with him and were cast out of heaven. Now, we don't know exactly how many angels there are, but the Bible in different places uses language that points to not an infinite number, but an incalculable number. So, for example, in Psalm 68, 17, it talks about the chariots of gods are myriad, thousands upon thousands. Something similar in Hebrews 12, 22, speaks of myriads of angels. And these are really... Or phraseology is ten thousands of ten thousands. And that's not to pull out your calculator and multiply ten thousand times ten thousand and then multiply it. But the point is, there's a massive number of angelic creatures. In general, we don't see them, but it's likely that there are hundreds of millions, if not billions, of angelic creatures. And from the scriptures... And I'll just give you the reference, Revelation 12, 3 and 4. It seems that a third of the angels followed Satan. Which if there are hundreds of millions or if there are billions, the point is there are a lot of fallen angels. And those fallen angels are aligned with Satan and until they are cast into judgment, they are doing his work. In Revelation 12, 7 or 9, it talks about heavenly war. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels, holy angels, warring with the dragon and his angels, Satan and his demons. And it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, verse 9, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. 
And it seems like from the time they were cast out, their motive and goal has been to deceive fallen humanity. And then if by chance God opens the eyes of sinners to see Jesus, then his goal is to destroy as much as he can. So Satan is not omniscient like God, but he has this literal army of angels that no doubt are spread around the globe. Wherever there's a human, there's demonic activity, there's demonic influence, and they're watching and cataloging. I don't believe that Satan knows what I'm thinking, but through observation, he can see what I do. The Bible says our, our lives are to be a testimony that we're witnesses, that even unbelievers will watch our lives. Well, Satan and his demons are watching our lives. But in addition to watching us, they're influencing us with those around us, particularly the lost. So let me try and connect some dots, and then I'm going to connect some more dots, and then I hope to connect finally some dots. But this is important, and this is part of what we have to be thinking about when we're dealing with the schemes of Satan. We have to understand the world in which we live. There's only two types of people. Period. Those who are saved and those who are lost. We've got a thousand different categories that we'll put people in, but the reality is you're either in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. John 14, 6, very familiar. Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You either have Jesus or you don't. And unbelievers are citizens of Satan's kingdom. Colossians 1.13, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. There's only two kingdoms. There's the domain of darkness, the place where Satan has influence and power. And there's the kingdom of his beloved son. Every unbeliever whether they realize it or not, are part of the kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness. And every unbeliever, whether they know it or not, is in bondage, not just to their own sin, according to the scriptures, they're in bondage to Satan. In 2 Timothy 2, 25-26, is talking about the role of a pastor. But it's talking about the context of how you're supposed to act towards people, particularly people who are mistreating you. But verse 25 and 26 is what I'll read of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. That's the motivation. Verse 26. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. And this is very important. Satan has every unbeliever in captivity. They're in bondage. They're responsible for their own sin. They can't point and say, it wasn't me, God. They're accountable, but what they don't realize is they're being led around by their desires and their will, and Satan is so skilled that they are in captivity and they don't even know it. If you ever get arrested by the police, you generally know it. You're in handcuffs. Satan is deceptive. 
you're in bondage, but you don't even know it. In fact, that was the illustration of Pride Month. The people are celebrating what they think is their freedom, completely ignorant of the fact that they're in bondage like they wouldn't believe. Every unbeliever is in bondage, and they're doing the will of Satan whether they believe it or not. And they don't know it because he's blinded them. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. They can't see the truth. So they're completely ignorant. So the world in which we live has all these people and they have no idea that they're blinded or in bondage. And if by chance someone preaches the gospel, kind of in the parable of the sower, for example... Luke 8, 12, it says, those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word. So again, there's only two kingdoms. The kingdom of darkness, Satan's realm, and the kingdom of the beloved son, Jesus. And most people on the planet, this is from scripture, it's not my opinion, most people on the planet are unbelievers. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. The vast majority of the people in the world are going through the broad gate that leads to destruction. Satan's holding the door open. He's dangling whatever it is that you think you want and saying, come get it, I got it with an abundance. He's deceiving them. They're blinded. They don't know it. He's influencing them to do his will, which is sin and rebellion against God, but he's doing it with deceptive means and they think they're pursuing freedom and they're really just cementing their captivity. And because he has authority over the kingdoms of this world, the ones that he offered to Jesus, because he has authority and because there are so many unbelievers in the world, he's manipulating the powers all around us. He influences and guides the way the world thinks, including its educational systems. Colossians 2, 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And I'm running out of time, so I'm going to speed through this explanation. But here's the point. There's wisdom that is earthly and demonic. James 3.15. Earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. And then there's wisdom from God. Guess what permeates the world systems? Satan controls the powers of government because there are more unbelievers than there are believers. Do I believe most world leaders know they're serving Satan? I think they're blinded. They don't know, but they are. Every government in the world has some form of education system, be it informal or formal. Guess what? They're teaching earthly, natural, demonic wisdom by and large. Why? Because most people are unbelievers. So we have governments everywhere propagating earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, and they don't even realize it. They think they're proclaiming the truth. People are learning demonic wisdom, and they think this is just the proven scientific truths of the world. And this influence extends into religion. 
1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. In the latter times, people will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. I've already read from 2 Corinthians, the workers of unrighteousness who are disguising themselves because Satan disguises himself. So let me quickly try and sum up everything here. Everything in this world is based on the idea that humans are the final authority. We're it. We figured it out. Look around and some people are really love animals, but at the end of the day, we're the pinnacle of everything. Now, from the world standpoint, that's just happenstance. Fluke of evolution. A twist and a turn here, a genetic deviation there, and we become the top of the food chain, so to speak. And this thinking, this evolutionary mindset, which seems natural, and it seems wisdom, but it's really a demonic reality that perpetrates a fraud on humanity. And it permeates every educational system, every government system. We're just evolved animals who have no choice but to act on our instincts. And if we try and restrain our instincts, it's dangerous, it's bad. We're just animals. We can't restrain ourselves. We don't need to listen to that old book called the Bible because we've gone past that. We've proven that that's not true. We've proven that we understand such that even churches embrace this evolutionary mindset. And we come back to the original lie of Satan. You'll be like God. That's the world we live in. The world has replaced God with human wisdom, which is really demonic wisdom, and yet the world doesn't even realize what it's doing because it's in captivity and it's blinded. Such that God takes his hands off. Romans 1, 28-32. I'll just read a couple of snippets. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Towards the end... They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. 1 Peter 4, verse 4, talking about unbelievers, they're surprised that you don't run with them the way you used to into all manner of sins, and they criticize you. That's the world in which we live. God's given, I believe, increasingly our country even over to a depraved mind, and they just can't figure out, why aren't you part of us? We'll cheer you on if you reject the Bible. We'll pat you on the back and be happy to call yourself a Christian if you reject the truth of Christianity, if you'll accept sin. And that's the world in which we live. We were deceived, I think, in America because for a period of time, the secular values lined up with a basic biblical ethic. Talked about that before, but marriage between a man and a woman used to be considered normal. But once the world changed, we have to realize that everything around us is fighting against us. The world is filled with unbelievers doing Satan's will, and they don't know what they're doing. They're blinded. So you've got to be careful by what you're influenced by. You can't be influenced by persuasive language 
or clever arguments. You've got to be influenced by the Word of God because Satan works through this world and he may work through some of your friends. So, I've gone a little bit over time and I apologize, but let me close this with prayer. Lord, protect us from the temptations of Satan. Lord, protect us from the evil one who through his schemes wants to ensnare us. I thank you, Lord, for transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But I pray, Lord, that you'll protect us. Make us aware of the schemes of our adversaries so that we don't fall prey to his attacks. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all, and I will see you, Lord willing, next week.